From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. School reopening took uh, some shape this week, but the thing of it is, is that the shape is really squishy. It's a very messy situation, uh, district to district and statewide, and that's been uh, what we've been sorting out pretty much uh, all week here. Yeah, to quote uh, Governor Brad Little from his press conference the other day, school reopening is going to look different in different parts of the states, depending on where you live. But let's they can't get, argue with them there. No, you can't argue them with them there. Uh, we'll get into some of the rest of the material from that press conference, which was interesting, which we want to dissect. But let's go right back to the beginning of the week. We could start either Monday or Tuesday. But as we predicted at the end of last week's show... We have a little bit more clarity about what the first day of school is going to look like in some of Idaho's largest school districts. And I got to tell you, Kevin, more and more, it's looking like online learning or, or at least blended learning for a lot of Idaho students, particularly in the larger population districts. Right. The two largest districts of the state uh, weighed in this week, well, well sort of. Uh, West Ada did two things. Uh, they decided to delay the start of the school year. Opening day will now be September 8th, so right after Labor Day. What West Ada also did was uh, not decide whether they're going to go completely online or whether they're going to try some sort of uh, a blended approach. They left that decision to August 25th. I, district leaders want to get a better sense of what's going on with uh, coronavirus case numbers and infection rates in the next couple of weeks before making that decision. It's really kind of hard to gauge where West Ada is going to come down here because uh, West Ada's you know, school reopening plan is clearly in flux. It's clearly a work in progress. Uh, trustees on Tuesday voted to tweak the language and make it possible to open in some sort of a hybrid learning approach, even in a time of substantial coronavirus spread, that's language that runs counter to what the local health district is recommending. Yeah, we had talked about that last week and then got a little bit more clarity this week, but Central District Health on Monday publicly released the first basically classifications for schools. Uh, this is the public health officials basically picking up that non-binding state framework for reopening that Governor Little and the State Board of Education put out. It feels like a million years ago, but I want to say it was in July. Um, and so anyways, what what we needed to happen was for the public health districts to come through and give classifications for our local schools based on the risk for coronavirus transmission. And there's basically three categories, category one, two, or three. A lot of people are now going with the stoplight uh, color coding scheme, green, yellow, red, same thing. Uh, but Central District Health had placed the Ada County school districts of Boise, West Ada, and CUNA, by the way, in the red category. Category three for highest coronavirus transmission risk. But you sat through that five-hour West Ada meeting on Tuesday, Kevin, and a number of trustees appeared to be favoring operating as if they were in the yellow, even though they're in the red. I think that yeah. was yeah, where I kind of got turned around. These were wanting to go here. They wanted to create an option in their 
back to school plan that would allow blended learning, allow students to go back to school every other day, yeah. alternating schedule that we've seen other, other districts plan on. Even in a red light period of substantial community spread. And that's not what the health district is recommending. But it was very clear that that's what the West Ada trustees and the West Ada administration wanted to do. And that's where they landed on Tuesday night. Now, on Thursday, uh, we got word from uh, the district's uh, spokesperson that what the district is really trying to do here is allow for small group learning. Uh, maybe you bring in special needs students or you bring in English language learners or advanced placement students or career technical students and, and let them learn in a smaller environment. And that's not what the school board was talking about on Tuesday. So they, they're walking back from where they were just a couple of days ago. And we still don't know where they're going to land on August 25th. So if you're a parent in the West Ada School District, all I can tell you is uh, stay tuned. If it seems confusing, that's because it is. And we will hopefully have a little bit more clarity that we can report on come uh, August 25th. A little bit clearer situation in the Boise District. Yeah. Uh, let's kind of segue to, to there. A rocky start for Boise School District as they tried to uh, come up with a, a fall plan. They had to postpone a hearing and a decision on Monday night because uh, their their streaming was just overwhelmed. They could not uh, yeah. handle the numbers of people who wanted to watch the meeting virtually, so they had to cut the meeting off and, and try again Tuesday night. When they did try again Tuesday night, uh, trustees voted to begin the school year completely online. So all 25,000 kids in the Boise School District will start the school year online, at least for the first couple of weeks. And the district hopes to revisit where things stand again in early September, kind of like what, uh, you know, what we're seeing with other districts. Uh, they want to get the year started and then see what the numbers are doing uh, a few weeks down the road. Yeah, but, and, and no. Boise's decision does align uh, with the state framework and with the health department uh, or with the health district's uh, classifications. And I guess the key takeaway, and we, we touched on this at the beginning, but it, it seems chaotic. Boise and West Ada, their neighboring districts, they're serving the same county, but they're at least maybe going different directions. But that's what you talked about at the beginning, because that's what the state almost wants. They want local school boards to make their own decisions on reopening. And so that's why it's going to look different in different parts of the state, different districts, even within the same county, even within the same health district, which is going to take some getting used to. And yet there are some clear trends that are emerging already. Yeah. Um, you know, let's do the math here and let's put the math into context. When we're talking about West Data and Boise and Nampa, who decided last week to go online, factor in Valley View, factor in Caldwell, factor in CUNA, those are six Six, right? Yeah. <laughs> Large school district. Hey, math, math, is, uh, math is challenging for us all today. Uh, these districts account for 100,000 students. I, do, I know that math. 100,000 students in the state, almost a third of the K-12 population in Idaho. All six of those school districts are going to start the year either completely online or some sort of a blended approach. So when the governor talks about an expectation that schools are going to reopen and, you know, you know a, a belief that schools can reopen. 
it's just really not squaring with what we're seeing on the ground here in the Treasure Valley. That, that's that's 100,000 kids who will not be going back to school as normal. So as much, and you were there, so yeah. uh, you, you take the lead on it because you were listening to it more closely. The governor really tried to convey a sense of normalcy and a sense of control for the reopening of schools uh, during his news conference on Thursday. But this, this situation is in so much flux and the local districts are, are really going a different direction than the governor is uh, is hoping for and and pushing for. Yeah, particularly, as you said, in the Treasure Valley uh, here in, in western Idaho where we live. But that I, I, that was what I was picking up on, that earlier in this week, the state's largest districts announced that they were either going online or blended. Uh, and then you've got the governor two days later saying the expectation is to focus on in-person learning. Uh, if we're going to have school closures, I expect them to be short. I, I don't know. I mean, that I, I know that the governor has a whole state to to worry about, and I know that he's talking to people outside of the Treasure Valley, and I know that there are a number of districts outside the Treasure Valley that are planning to go ahead with in-person instruction. I also know that there are, at this point, a very small number, perhaps two counties, uh, that don't really have any confirmed cases as yet. But we're talking about very remote, far-flung, not populated areas Whereas the areas where the population lives, they're dealing with the coronavirus and they're making plans to go online. And so that was one of the things I asked the governor about, basically spent the whole summer, not the whole summer, but spent a large part of the summer sending out the message from the governor's office and from the State Board of Education that we're going to be reopening schools at the end of summer. Uh, and now they're slowly changing their tone to say, well, it's going to look different in different parts of the state, and we're not going to disregard the health guidelines, but we do want to focus on in-person learning, and we believe there's benefits there. But, I, I, I mean, the rubber's meeting the road, and I think right now we're hearing from parents and teachers who want answers and are tired of things changing and the unpredictability and, and hearing one message and, and seeing another. Um, but yeah. we're, we're just a few I, days I out. I think that uncertainty, that unpredictability that you're talking about, I think that really, that's a great point. And it really kind of goes back to what we're seeing in the Boise School District. Now, I talked about how all of Boise students are going to begin the school year online. For 4,000 kids, at least, and we don't know the final number as we sit here Friday morning, for at least 4,000 students in the Boise School District, they're going to spend at least the first semester and maybe the entire school year learning online because their parents have enrolled them in the online school option. And they're, you know, basically the parents are saying, look, we want to know where our kid is going to be learning for this semester or for this year. And if it means uh, learning from home and not yo-yoing back and forth between being in school or being home or being in school on an alternating schedule. You know, parents are kind of voting with their feet here saying, we want something that we can count on. We want something that's predictable. Even if it's not optimal, we want something that we know is going on here. 4,000 kids, at least. And we'll get the final numbers. Uh, uh, the deadline is Friday, so we'll get the final numbers here, you know, as quickly as possible. I'll try to round them That's up. A school district. That's a big school district. That's four thousand kids. That's yeah. you know, and they're trying to staff it, and they're trying to figure out who's going to be uh, instructing those kids. That's a big undertaking, but it's also a 
and a very vivid illustration of how confused and frustrated parents are and, and just wanting a sense of uh, wanting to know beyond day to day what's going to be going on with their kids. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, on the one hand, I totally get it. This is a new pandemic. It's a new virus. We don't know anything about it. We wouldn't expect to know everything uh, about it. But I just have to wonder, because we saw the case numbers increasing all summer, and we're not just going to talk about cases, uh, we're going to provide that context, and we do provide that context every week on our website, but we're going to get into that in a minute. But as case numbers increased, and then as hospitalizations increased, and as now deaths are increasing, uh, the message was always, you know, we're going to be going back in person and the governor really used Thursday's conference to talk about the millions of dollars, largely through the Federal CARES Act and federal stimulus money, that they've pumped into the reopening effort, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's trying to provide computers and connectivity, uh, whether it's trying to provide masks and hand sanitizer, um, whether it's trying to provide, you know, any number of, of factors. They're trying to ramp up testing. And I know that there was a committee that worked on the so-called digital divide and connectivity, but we know how uneven distance and remote education was in the spring. We've seen the surveys that showed how frustrated parents were with the quality of the instruction in the spring. We're now six months removed from that, and I just wonder if more focus should have been placed on ramping up the online capabilities, the, the remote learning, the online learning, because you follow this, Kevin, but the state's largest school district, West Ada, doesn't have the computers that they need. Um, and, and I mean, you know, there was, there was, I'm glad you went there because there was so much that came out of that West Ada board meeting on Tuesday night. I mean, a lot of things can happen in a five hour meeting, yeah. but one of the things that really, and I didn't even get into it in the story, and it's really important, is that the West Ada district they are trying to ramp up into more of a one-to-one -one, uh, online learning environment where, where yeah. kids have individual devices. Well, West Data has thousands of computers on order. I, I want to say that it's upwards of 10,000 computers on order for students. And they don't expect those in until later this month or early September. And they've got thousands of cases for these computers on order. So what do you do? Do you give the computers to the students and give them the cases later and hope that nothing happens with the computers in the few days that they're uh, unprotected? Or do you hold off and kind of get off to a slow start if you're doing digital learning because you can't give students devices because you're waiting on cases? This is a big rollout. And it didn't, you know, and that's, you know, uh, you know, I, I wonder... I mean, that's a huge number, 10,000 computers. But again, West State is a, a huge district, yeah, yeah. 40,000 kids. But it just gives you a sense of this is the biggest district in the state still scrambling to get the tools to roll into an online learning uh, regime if that's what it takes to, to get the school year started. And, and I think this speaks to some of the frustration that parents are seeing you know, next week is going to be the six-month anniversary from when the first confirmed case was reported in Idaho. I want to say that was back on March 13th. March 13th, yeah. We've right. had six months. We don't know much about the virus, but what we do know is it's disrupting our lives. And we do know that 
When you get large groups of people together, particularly indoors, it appears to spread and be transmissible, and it's and it's dangerous, and, and we're seeing the deaths increase in, in Idaho. And so six months now, we've known that this thing is ruining our world and ruining our life and disrupting all these events and gatherings, and we've still got schools struggling to get computers. And I think if you're a parent, that's why you're frustrated. Um, and, and, something, and something else to know about. Yeah, the coronavirus, and as we know, the case, you know, we're talking about the big spike in cases that we've seen in Ada County and Canyon County, but we're seeing similar spikes, maybe even bigger spikes on a percentage basis in places like Bonneville County. Yeah. But what we've also seen with this, with the coronavirus, and past is prologue here, we've seen that you can have a spike in cases that happens almost overnight and it can be centered around one building or one facility, whether it's a food manufacturing plant, we've seen that uh, on numerous occasions around Southern Idaho, whether it's a long-term care facility, as we saw with really tragic results in Nespers County earlier this year. And we're going to see it at a school. I, I'm, I can't see how it doesn't happen. And I don't say that to be an alarmist. I don't say that to be a Karen. I don't say that to, you know, to shock you, I can't see how you don't have an outbreak tied to a school sometime this year. It just seems scientifically impossible. Yeah, and and I haven't heard, and, and you know, we haven't talked to every school district, but I haven't heard how are districts going to handle that? What happens when the first student or staff member tests positive? How are they going to balance notifying the community um, versus? Uh, patient privacy information. What happens if somebody gets sick? Um, mm -hmm. How are they going to address that? And, and uh, I, I don't know. Um, I think we have more clarity at this point that at some point when the legislature gets together for this special session in August, there will be legislation around the liability aspect of it. I think I've got a clearer sense in my head of what a liability bill or a liability protection bill might look like than I have what you're talking about, a, right. a, an idea in my head of what is going to be the protocol and the response if a student tests positive or a staff member tests positive. And I suspect that that may be a case-by-case, community-by-community decision. But we know it's coming. We know it's going to happen. Yeah, we do. And I think that this really speaks to how crazy the news is this week that we went more than 18 minutes into our podcast without even mentioning that Governor Brad Little... Uh, called a special session of the legislature. He announced it on Wednesday. It's due to take place the week of August 24th. Uh, details are emerging little by little, but you're absolutely right. Uh, the liability issue, both for schools and businesses, uh, appears to be front and center during the special session. I think they're also likely to take a look at the procedures for November's general election. Yeah. Those two issues seem to be coalescing, and there seems to be some sort of Clarity, especially on the liability issue of what a bill might look like. But you've written about it. You covered it last week, the education working group that seems to have, they've got a lot of ideas. They've got a lot of thoughts, but they don't have a lot of detail and they don't have an RS yet. And, you know, I, I, it, the governor does not want to have a special session that turns into a free for all. And, you know, you want to have a clear idea of what the legislation is going to look like, what the agenda is going to look like, what, you know, what, is going to be discussed and what is going to pass. You know, governors do not like to call special sessions without an idea that something is going to pass and that something that they 
can support and sign into law is going to pass. So, yeah, <laughs> who knows what kind of shape this uh, special session is going to look like. Yeah, um, one of the figure that out. we talked about this last week, but one of the ideas that the education working group put forward was either funding flexibility or looking at enrollment versus attendance funding, aka funding formula, which is an issue that we've been working on for five years. And as I said last week, hasn't even gotten out of committee. And so the idea that we would tackle that during a special session seems like a special case of fiction uh, to me. Yeah, I can't see that happening in in a special session that goes one day, two days, three days, whatever it turns out to be. Because, you know, let's face it, you know, when when the special session begins, we're going to be barely two months removed from the November elections. And that doesn't affect Governor Little. It doesn't affect Lieutenant Governor McGee. And it does affect a bunch of legislators yeah. who are running for re-election, some who may have contested races in their home district. You know, a special session is an opportunity for legislators to uh, try to score some points at home to say that they're fighting the good fight for, you know, for their constituents. And you've got legislators who are vocally and publicly upset with the governor about the response to coronavirus. You had, a, you know, a cadre of legislators told well, it wasn't a special session, but it was a a get together yeah. on the House floor in June to to a large degree to rail about the governor, to to rail about the state's response to coronavirus. Those sentiments haven't gone away in the past two months. Yeah. And a special session, no matter how you put sideboards around it, the special session gives legislators a podium to talk about whatever they want to talk about to score points at home on whatever issue they think is going to be advantageous. So, yeah, to think that we're going to take on something as complex as the school funding formula and try to do it in a special session of a couple of days, and, and to think that the, that the governor, even if he were want something like that, would want to do that in this kind of a venue, uh, that's, that's fantasy. That's not going to happen. Sure, and I think looking ahead to the special session, there's also a couple of other things that people are looking at perhaps maybe a looming political battle over jurisdictions and how the legislators behave during the session. This came up during Governor Little's press conference Thursday, and it really came up online on Twitter. But obviously, Ada County has a public health order that A, requires masks and face coverings to be worn in public, mandates social distancing, and limits group sizes and gatherings, both public and private, to no more than 50 And so the question is, are legislators, many of whom have been skeptical about the coronavirus, are they going to be required to wear masks inside the state capitol? Will they all be meeting in person or will some be meeting remotely? And will they adhere to social distancing? Uh, The governor said that's good advice and he would advise them to do that. But he said that the legislature, like the courts, sets their own rules. And so I think that will be really interesting. And I think that that's something that members of the public will watch. And that doesn't have anything to do with the policy, but that has to do with the behavior that legislators are modeling during this global pandemic. And I just want to remind everybody that in late March, after the first cases had already been confirmed, one of the last actions of the Idaho Republican caucus from the House during this pandemic was to plan a large in-person party. Uh, in March in downtown Boise. And so these groups, these people are going to be coming back to Boise. And so I think a lot of citizens 
will be looking to see the behavior that they model during this pandemic. Well, right. I mean, you know, the governor has not mandated mask usage for 1.7 million Idahoans, so it hardly surprises me that he didn't want to mandate mask usage for 105 legislators. I mean, that that's kind of where he's been on this issue from, from the get-go. Yet his message is the way to get the virus under control and to safely reopen schools and to get our economy going again is to wear the mask. And, and so it is relevant in my mind. In my mind, it's totally a fair point because the governor has made it a point. We don't physically know what this session is going to look like. We, we don't know the mechanics of this session any more than we know uh, what's going to be on the agenda exactly. Right. The the state did authorize spending a little bit more than $1 million on technology upgrades to allow legislators to work remotely with an eye towards a special session as one possible use for that technology. So we don't really know how many of the 105 legislators will be in the state house, how many will be on the house floor or the Senate floor, how many will be working in their offices to exercise social distance by, by not being uh, in close quarters in a committee room or on the uh, on the House floor or the Senate floor. We don't know how many legislators are going to be in the State House when yeah. the special question occurs, as opposed to uh, working from home. Uh, the technology is there to allow those options. So, you know, I, I've got my head not wrapped around what is going to be discussed at the session or how it's going to look. Uh, a lot we've got to sort out here in just... Uh, a little bit more than two weeks, because uh, August 24th is the target date for the special session. And it will be uh, it'll be special, all right, because it's going to be something unlike anything we've seen before. Yeah. Another topic that's floating out there that could be addressed, and, and I think the governor will have the say here, but another topic that some legislators would like to address is who has the authority uh, to close schools. The state's been very specific that the local school boards are the ones to develop the reopening plans. Uh, but I think some legislators, and I've heard that there's even um, a bill written up. It's not a bill. It hasn't been introduced, but a uh, perhaps a, a draft of a potential bill has been written. And so it'll be interesting to see if that comes up, because that could be a real healthy debate um, that would really get into a lot of what's going on right now. Yeah, we'll have our hands full trying to figure out uh, what exactly this special session is going to look like and what exactly is going to be covered and you know it's it's two weeks away which in 2020 time feels like it'll be about three months from now yeah for sure um that's a lot of the big news uh that i had this week did you want to slow down and take a look at either uh some more context with the coronavirus and what's happening in relation to some of the trends you've identified or did you want to spend a minute talking about things you'll be watching on higher ed knowing that we've talked a lot about k-12 well, both. Let's try, okay, to, sure. try to hear both here before we uh, call it a, a yep. podcast here. Uh, let me talk really quickly about higher education and yeah. some stories. That I, one story that I posted and one that will come next week. I'm going to spend the next uh, academic year really trying to take a close look at higher education because it feels like uh, higher education is really at a, at a tipping point in, in Idaho. When you factor in responding to the pandemic, the fiscal realities facing higher education, the political realities facing higher education. Um, I tried to press the reset button on that on Thursday and, and put together a piece about how the pandemic has really made some of the challenges facing higher education even more challenging. 
the question of enrollment, of, of getting kids in this, getting kids onto the campus is, you know, even more of an important issue. The financial aspects of, uh, the, the financial challenges facing higher education are even more acute. And, and the image issues, the political issues, uh, you know, you know, the branding of higher education in Idaho, if you will, those are all issues and problems that were facing the system before the pandemic arrived. And, and now they're even more, uh, now they're even more acute. Right. Um, just, just case in point. I mean, we, we've written a lot in the past couple of years about the uh, fiscal challenges at Idaho State University and the University of Idaho. When I had a chance to talk to uh, Scott Green, the president of the University of Idaho uh, earlier this week, I talked about some of the numbers that he's crunched about uh, about the U of I's uh, fiscal situation. And he estimates that if the U of I had to go to online learning again, just like they had to in the spring, and had to go online for the entire school year, it would have a $33 million impact on the university between lost revenues. We've talked about these lost revenues before, you know, room and board, you know, parking, you know, the bookstore, all that stuff that adds up. And maybe it sounds like it's nickel and dime stuff, but it's, you know, this is, you know, the revenue that comes in when you have a, you know, a fully functioning campus. Well, it's not, it's not nickel and dime. It's, it's not nickel and dime. And I think as, no. as a, a father who's had uh, kids go to higher education, you can attest it's not nickel and dime stuff. No, no. It, I mean, you know, when we're talking about parking, you know, parking, tick, you know, parking, parking permits, it sounds like it's going to be small potatoes, but it really isn't because when you've got 10,000 plus students on campus, you know, paying you know, for room and board, paying for meal plans. It, it really does add up yeah. quickly. And there's also, for lack of a better word, the sunk revenue the, the, you know, that goes into the plan to reopen. I mean, the University of Idaho has you know, put, a, put together a testing lab so that they can provide free tests for, um, for students and staff. Uh, they've set up thermal stations so that if somebody comes into a, a crowded building that their, their temperature can be checked. Those things cost money, and if you go remote, you've put money into this infrastructure that really isn't, uh, you know, serving an actual uh, on-campus community and on-campus environment. $33 million. And if you think that it's fiction to be talking about the idea of an online-only college regime, it's happening on a lot of campuses across the country. It's happening at Washington State University, eight miles away from the U of I campus. So, you know, the idea of having to go back to online again, you know, it's not as far-fetched as uh, as it might sound, unfortunately. Yeah. $33 million on top of everything else that the U of I has had to to cut out of its budget. I mean, that's, uh, that's staggering. Yeah. And like you said, you interviewed President Green uh, this week. It's going to be a major project uh, for you this upcoming school year. You had the piece Thursday, and then there's going to be, uh, yeah, yeah you'll continue to cover it. Enrollment. And enrollment is a big wild card right now. We've talked about this before, that uh, some of the early projections, national projections, indicated that uh, colleges and universities could see a 20% drop-off in enrollment uh, because of the pandemic. The numbers right now, uh, and I don't want to get too far ahead of my reporting, but yeah. I can kind of tease it out. We'll have the story uh, on our site next week. 
the numbers right now for Idaho colleges and universities, they don't look that bad. It doesn't look that, you know, like a cataclysmic decline in enrollment. Um, when I talked to Kevin Sad earlier, the president at uh, Idaho State, uh, a couple of weeks ago, he said that they're projecting maybe about a 3% drop in enrollment. That's not great, but it's a lot more manageable than a 20% drop often, and manageable was the word he used to describe it, that, you know, they can make that work, that, you know, but nobody really knows exactly what's going to happen. And it's going to be, you know, no surprise here for, you know, any student who's in this situation or any parent who's in this situation. You know, there's a lot of, you know, waiting until the last possible minute to decide what to do because, you know, you don't know what's happening with the coronavirus. You don't know what's going to happen with what kind of learning environment you're going to be able to uh, take part in. So I think you've got parents and students kind of putting off that decision as long as possible to have as much information as possible. So nobody really knows exactly what to expect. And we get into that. We'll have a story about that uh, next week. I, can't, I think that's kind of the theme from our podcast today is nobody really knows uh, exactly <laughs> what to expect. And, and I don't mean that um, flippantly or, you know, to be subversive. I, I think that's where things stand uh, as best I can tell. No, that's exactly where it is. I mean, there, you know, this is the year of uncertainty, and yeah. you know, that's our job is to try to sort through the uncertainties and try to give you some uh, some information and some context to work off of. All right, for the big finish, I want to just do one more topic and squeeze it in real quickly at the end. When I was at the governor's press conference on Thursday, um, he gave a lecture, um, and it was directed to the media in general, not anyone specific. He didn't name names, but the governor appeared pretty upset with what he characterized as journalists reporting only um, new case numbers with the coronavirus. And I just wanted maybe to spend a minute here, because I think it's serious enough for the governor to bring it up. It's serious enough uh, for us to talk about. But let's just talk about the things you do cover and the work that you publish, particularly on Fridays, and the metrics you look at and where you get that data. Right. I mean, I, I listen to that, as, you know, remotely and it really kind of jumped out at me it was gently worded but it was a scolding and um i think about what we are doing with these numbers and and i'm not the only reporter doing this uh, reporters are around this state have really tried to dig in and make some sense of these numbers our our friends and colleagues at the idaho statesman uh, I'll, I'll single them out have done tremendous work putting these numbers into context and they've done tremendous work of frankly shaming the state into transparency yes. by demanding information that is in the public interest, information about case numbers in long-term care facilities, case numbers involving Latinos, in, in, numbers that we need to know as Idahoans. And they're putting that information out. They're putting that information out uh, oftentimes in Spanish when the state uh, is not always doing that either. So Huge tip of the hat uh, to the Idaho statesman, uh, Chad, Chad Pride, Pride, Rachel Roberts, Roberts Jimena Bustia, um, Ruth Brown, Christina Lords, the editor, the whole team over there. Um, but Chad and Rachel in particular uh, have, have stepped up. But that whole team, Nicole Foy as well, uh, is doing excellent work. No, they, they've all been outstanding and, and they've really been on the cutting edge of trying to help people understand these numbers. I mean, what I do weekly and what I think is important to do is to take a look at the trends. And 
if you look at what I blog on Friday afternoons, and I'll have another one out, uh, you know, later today. Friday, I want to look week to week at what's happening, not just with the case numbers. Case numbers are important, though, because they're a leading indicator of what's going to happen down the road with hospitalizations and deaths. And we look week to week with what's happening with hospitalizations, with ICU admissions, with deaths. Uh, we look at a uh, number of uh, patients who are uh, defined as recovered. Uh, we look at testing because, you know, this has been the ongoing debate for weeks and months. Well, if you do more testing, the case numbers go up. Yes and no. That's been our experience in Idaho, that uh, we are testing more people. No question about it. But the case numbers have increased in, in far in, in, you know, far greater than the increase in the tests. And so the positivity rate. Increase numbers to increase testing entirely. It's a factor. It's not the factor. Yeah. And the positivity rate, the positivity rate among cases in particularly a week or two ago, uh, was a lot higher than what state officials, uh, what anyone would want to see. Right. That positivity rate is a really important factor. And it's one of the factors that the state is using to figure out where to place Idaho in the reopening plan. So, you know, we're, we're trying to give you the context about these numbers, looking at the very same metrics that the state's experts are looking at to try to figure out how serious the outbreak is and how the state should respond. So we're, we're trying to put these numbers into context and we're trying to break those numbers down county by county with the, the largest counties, uh, counties with the largest number of cases. And, you know, really, I think our job is to provide context and to provide a sense of what's going on. And, and I've said this before, I'm sure on the podcast, I'll say it again. My job is not to, uh, to be an alarmist with these numbers, but my job is not to convey false hope with these numbers. I'm just trying to give you the numbers, let you see the trend, let you see what's happening week to week and, and arrive at your own conclusions. And, you know, it's a mix. It's always going to be a mix. And, you know, what we're seeing just over the past couple of weeks or the past few days, the new case numbers in Ada County, it's starting to slow down a little bit. The case numbers, the increases are not as rapid as we've seen in the past. Now, whether that's you know, a starting that the outbreak is abating or whether it's a testing uh, capacity issue, that's that's a harder thing to, to pin down. But the new case numbers in the Ada County are showing some signs of slowing down. Bonneville County continues to have big increases in new cases. Canyon County's case numbers continue to rise uh, in, in a big way, so, so too in Kootenai County. And we look at some of these smaller counties where we're seeing outbreaks and increases. So we're, we're really just trying to give readers as much of a, a picture of what's happening and, and what's happening over time, rather than just giving you a day-to-day -day snapshot. What happened this week as opposed to the week before, I think is an important, it gives you that two-week window that uh, is so important in terms of uh, the outbreak of coronavirus. We know that it's got a better two-week incubation period. So what's happening over the course of two weeks is significant. Yeah. Uh, and so I just want to say that I agree uh, with the governor uh, that the data uh, is important, uh, that multiple pieces of data are important, that the context is important. And I just want right, to invite... Months and other reporters have to. Yeah. And, and I just want to invite... Um, you know, maybe if he hasn't looked lately, I just want to invite the governor uh, to check out the homepage uh, Fridays, usually around 6 p.m. Uh, is when you have your weekly uh, trend piece updated. And what we do not do 
uh, is what we do not do is we do not publish just raw case numbers every day. That's not something that we do. Uh, but we try to give a little bit more complete uh, picture. So I just invite everybody to check that out. Um, typically, the podcast I publish around 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. on Fridays. Uh, by 6 p.m. or so, uh, the coronavirus data broken down by county with a number of metrics uh, is going to be available. And that's data just collected from the state website. We're not really telling you uh, what the numbers mean. It's just presented for you to check it out and look at and and, and dive in yourself. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, that was a lot to get to this week, but um, it always feels like that. But with the reopening news and the governor's press conference and the special session, this is probably one of the newsier weeks that we've had, even during the pandemic. Um, but it's coming at a good time, Kevin. You're doing very much the uh, uh, the media triathlon today. We can catch you on the uh, uh, the big shows. You're going to be on Idaho Reports uh, this evening and this weekend, which airs on Idaho Public Television and online and on their website. Uh, you're also going to be on Idaho Matters on Boise State Public Radio. And then you get a rest for a little bit, right? You get a couple a days off. Bit. I'm going to be off next week. Uh, podcast will continue. I know you'll be... Uh, Heading up the podcast with a uh, with guests to be determined. Yep, stay tuned. Special guest next week. Uh, I'll be back running the show, and then you'll be back in two weeks. But thanks as always uh, for trusting us and, and for seeking us out. We have a lot of fun on the Extra Credit Podcast, breaking down this ever complicated intersection of education policy and politics. Be sure to check out the homepage. Um, we're posting multiple stories every day, both about K-12 public education and about higher ed. I think a lot of you guys know, but the homepage is www.idahoednews.org. If you're big on social media on Twitter, you can give us a follow at Idaho Ed News. Uh, we link to our breaking news story stories there, and we live tweet some of the big meetings and governor's press conferences and things of that nature. So thanks so much uh, for joining us. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Stay safe and have a good week.